1504, during the height of the Ming Dynasty, the Yongle Emperor had to act fast. Having managed to survive five major offensives to the north side of Beijing, the Emperor needed to enact some form of defensive to protect his land and maintain China's strategic prominence. And so, he looked to Bodling. The Bodling Passage stretches 50 miles northwest up a steep mountainside. A fortified presence there would not only protect the ever-vital Zhuangguan Pass, but also allow his soldiers to establish a long-standing higher ground. He set plans in place to fortify this structure, staging a military outpost at its peak, Bibalu, approximately 3,300 feet above sea level. In 1957, the fortification completed a vast restoration and was open to the public. You may know it now as the crowning section of the Great Wall of China. While it no longer serves functional for battle, its presence remains as a symbol of the dominance and strategic importance of that era. In August of 2008, another Great Wall came to Beijing. A fortification of dominance and strategic importance. Only this force took to the hardwood. Amid the throng was one stretch of prominence that established a higher ground, entering one of the final stages of an already historic year. This is the third and final chapter in the story of Candace Parker's historic rookie season. This is W History. Hey, WNBA fans, welcome to this episode of W History, part three of Candace Parker's rookie season. If you've been chronicling this series, you know that it's been a minute since we've done an episode. I'd run through the list of excuses, but I'm just going to save you time and say we are so grateful to be back at the helm, digging into the literature and putting a final cap on one of the most interesting seasons of basketball. Uh, one could research. So we're fun, uh, excited to get into it. Uh, I'm Steve Schwartzman here with Logan Jones. How you doing, Logan? I'm doing great. We had we had some sun out today. It got brisk uh, the way you want it to in the spring. Still, I'm I'm feeling more energy as uh, we approach the season. Yes, I mean everything you said is is kind of true for me. It's also just like oh allergies. Cool. It's true. I I do I I've noticed though that especially in this last year or two, I, I really operate like a house plant. Like the sun comes out and I'm like. Oh, and I like unfurl. And then as soon as it gets cold or dry again, I just shrivel up. And I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I don't <laughs> want to do anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so normally this is where I would introduce Kyle. Technically, in a lot of cases, I would do him first. because We have this random order that we never discuss, but it's how it happens. Uh, but he did give us a sick note in that he has other things to attend to. And we just didn't want this episode to wait any longer. So, for the first time, technically, on W History, we've got Jason Snow with us as well. Jason, how are we? Welcome to class. We are tired, uh, in the royal sense. Um, it, <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, it's, it's been long. We're in the process of buying a house. So I spent the day, uh, checking out houses and deciding not to make offers because they have small ovens or whatever other things I didn't like about houses. But, um, I am so stoked. This is my first time, like you mentioned, getting to be schooled on w history and i am excited about it absolutely i hope you kept up on the reading um because you know we're not gonna have as much time to dig back into things i am approaching this like my freshman year of college i did not do any reading okay gotcha okay and i don't <laughs> i'm not putting the slides up on canvas for you to to, to cheat off of in the meantime you, you need you right. need you need to come to lecture you need to come to lecture and you need to go to lab 
Okay, you're paying for those hours. You might as well use it. I like that he threw he threw freshman year in there. <laughs> All right. Jason, yeah. who who has been to med school, is like, yeah, I didn't read the freshman year reading. I didn't do any of that. Are like, I don't think I read any of the reading. <laughs> I started reading somewhere around my junior year. I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, okay, like it actually matters that I do well in this. But that's also <laughs> when you sort of like the readings. By then, you got a major. Yeah, you tend to actually like it. And you get into it. Yeah, I I feel you there. We did enough college talk on pre-record, so I'm going to cut that off now before we get too into the weeds. That said, um, it's been a while since we've gone through this, and I've only got one other guest who has been here on the episode for that. But can either of you try to give me a very quick summation of the story of Candace Parker's rookie season up to this point? So, I mean, I I know a few of the things. So I I remember there's lots of chaos around the tournament turning around very quickly into draft. Um, but I mean, I just, a lot of the details get by me because when I'm editing, I don't actually get to like yeah. follow the story as well as I would like. When right. we last kicked off, uh, the sparks were about two thirds away done with their season, possibly even three fourths of the way done with their season sitting third in the West standings. They had a bit of drop after having a, a pretty, like successful push at the start of the year. Uh, one of the last main events that we hit off was Malice in the Palace 2, the brawl against the Detroit Shock. That's, That's right. Yeah. Uh, Sheriff Ward's injury and whatnot, and all of the controversy behind that. And we have now officially reached a stop in WNBA play the first week of August 2008. And this is specifically to honor the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, uh, in which the Sparks are actually sporting the only team to sport three players on this Team USA roster. So quick guess, uh, can you guys name those players? Two should be easy, and then there's one more that you might know. Lisa Leslie. Yes. I mean, one's a Sorry, giveaway. Jason, I took the easy one. <laughs> well, yeah. th- that's, that's there's another easy one. Quite easy. Oh, Candace Parker. Yeah. So we got Candace, we've got Lisa Leslie, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go easy on you. Delisha Milton Jones also on this roster. So we've got three Sparks players. They're the only team, uh, to have three representatives on Team USA. And guys, this roster, this roster, keep in mind that in 2008 was the year of the quote redeem team. So in 2004 was when the, uh, men's Team USA, I believe, won bronze instead of gold. That's and right. thus, yeah. in, uh, to make up for that, they stacked this roster, their roster with the mega stars. Like it was definitely, uh, it was prime LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, like every great player in their prime was on that roster. It was the year of the redeem team. But in terms of general talent within their, their respective leagues, this roster holds up and possibly even more so. I'm just going to read down this for you. Simone Augustus, Sue Bird, Tamika Ketching, Sylvia Fowles, Kara Lawson, Lisa Leslie, Delisha Milton Jones, Candace Parker, of course, Cap- Cappy Pondexter, Katie Smith, Dana Tarasi, Tina Thompson. Okay. Wow. So like Candace, every- Candace and Fowles coming off the bench. <laughs> um, yeah. That's like. Like, you can't even count up the rings. It's just like, all right, how many championships have there been in WNBA history? 25? All right, that's all 25 of them. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot yeah. of hardware. Um, this team 
is to call them stacked is almost unfair. It's really is like mm-hmm. a special squad. Uh, so it, a lot of foregone conclusions, but a lot of interesting stories as we go through these games. So we're going to head over to Beijing philosophically. I, I could get tickets relatively cheap right now as they're listed, but it just didn't feel safe to do so. Uh, but we're now in the first week, August 8th, 2008 is the opening ceremonies for the Olympics and team USA, uh, would pretty much start right away. Uh, the LA times, of course, this is, this is the, you guys know that there's always kind of a side narrative when it comes to Candace Parker and we're going to address it right off the bat right here. But the LA times did a write up introducing team USA or sorry, the New York times did a write-up introducing Team USA, team by you know, player by player, and gave a quick blip on who these players are and a little bit about them, how their performance has been, giving you a primer of what to expect from this team. And, you know, just running through that snapshot. Parker's spotlight simply listed that she, quote, had dumped twice as a rookie with the Sparks and, quote, is one of the leaders in the next generation that will take the torch from Lisa Leslie, close quote. Not that she's having a historic rookie season statistically or anything. Nothing about that. But she did dunk a couple times. Dunking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. She's averaging a double-double, but whatever. Yeah. I don't know what it is that... that continues to bubble me over. I think it's just because when you read these articles, well, you know, when you read through as many uh, pieces I have and columns I have, the way that they address it, it's not just the fact that they keep bringing it up. It's this weird salivation of like, you're never this excited about dunks when men do them. It's weird. It feels like it's from the era of like Marlboro Reds and dunking and Going down to the five and dime to to pick up some I don't know I'm just I'm channeling all my Mad Men era like sexism through mm-hmm. like this love of dunking that the media had back then and it was back then like twelve years ago <laughs> it's like a, it's like in the nineties yeah. when like every time there was a sitcom about like a dream girl it was it was always the fact that she like was into cars and liked football and ate steaks <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's the vibe that's the vibe I'm getting. And it's just like, this is, I don't know, it just gets too much for me. Anyway, August 8th, the opening ceremonies. The very next day, August 9th, 2008, Team USA gets right to business with a 40-point victory over the Czech Republic. Ooh. So they oh. waste zero time. Parker only boasts nine points and three rebounds, but did lead the team with 24 minutes. Uh, and the player of the game for, for night one... Sylvia Fowles, 16 points, 14 rebounds. She came in and immediately made a name for herself on that juncture. So there you have it. August 9th, two days later, August 11th, now with an easy win over the Czech Republic, uh, which was not a shocker to seemingly anybody. The first expected test for Team USA uh, would take place tonight. A quote from the L.A. Times. Uh, quote, Diana Taurasi, Lisa Leslie, Candace Parker and company will probably have more difficulty than they did in the 40-point victory over the Czech Republic in the opener. Close quote. So now it's in writing. This is going to be... Hot take. Hot take. <laughs> uh, a slog, right? It's going to be a lot tougher uh, as they uh, as they come into this run-up. Um, well, Team USA responds to that quote 
With a 45-point victory that saw Parker go for 12 points, 5 rebounds, Lisa Leslie racks in a double-double herself, and Tina Thompson dominates with 27 points. So they said, cool, we're going to have a hard time getting 40, a 40-point victory. Here's, you know, here's 45. And, and you know what's funny? It's, so none of those numbers uh, in the post article about this, none of these numbers I shared with you, including the margin of victory, compared to what they said it was going to be, they said China, a very tough opponent, and they won by a larger margin than they did against the Czech Republic. None of those stats, none of those numbers were in the lead from the L.A. Times beat the next day. That, of course, is dedicated to Candace Parker slamming one down during oh, halftime warm-ups. Dunks. During halftime warm-ups. <laughs> she dunked in warm-ups, and that was the lead in the story. That was in the headline. Like... Parker dunks. I U.S. wins big. It was in warmups. It was legit. They were. They might as well have been playing a horse. You know. You know what this makes me wonder. I feel like they did market research on like their women's basketball coverage, and they did exactly like one study, and it was just like ten dudes <laughs> on a playground. They're like, "Hey, what do you like about basketball?" And they're like, "I don't know, slamming it." Yeah. Like <laughs> when you use the word dunk, we right. get more readers. And NBA NBA jam, and they're like, all right, thanks. And then they just like never updated their research. They're just like, that's that's where the viewers are. It's my it's my theory on like Netflix uh doc like Netflix movies and documentaries. I have a theory that there's certain words they like to use. Because if you look at some of their documentaries or movies like originals, they often have horrid titles. And I actually believe it's because they do a lot of research on Hey, if we put that in the title, a lot of people are going to watch it. Like that word's yeah. got to be in there. So usually they come up with some kitschy titles, but like, um, that's almost how I feel about this is like, they feel like, well, they're not going to read it if they don't know that someone dunked. And it, to the point that yeah. she dunked in practice, like, what are we talking about? What are we talk, we're talking about practice. Like, what are we talking about? Like, we're sitting here. I'm supposed to be doing W history and we need to talk about practice. That, could you? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the equivalent. If it was like, like if the Angels made the postseason for the first time in forever and they won a series, would the headline be like, "Mike Trout had an extra base hit"? Also, the Angels won twelve to zero in their first series win. <laughs> but the thing is, like, if he homers yeah. in that game and it's a homer that's like a go ahead or it's a pivotal moment, I could see that. But this wasn't that. This was the fact that she hit rim in a warm up. Yeah. Like, like but it but it's it didn't even count for two points. It counted for zero points because it, it was in a warm up. It meant so, nothing. Yeah. It, <laughs> it it's more the equivalent of like like the Angels made the their first run in the playoffs in a long time. But did you see the warm up stretches he did? Because those were phenomenal warm up stretches. Be, like he hit a four hundred and fifty foot homer in batting practice. Like that would yeah. be the lead. <laughs> That's, which which is absurd. Um, let's kick over a couple days. August 13th, my sister's birthday, by the way. So on August 13th, uh, happy birthday to Heather. But, uh, Team USA follows up with another 45 point victory over, uh, Mali, uh, in which they held the opponent to just 41 total points. Uh, Parker scored 10 after a slight drop in minutes, which we will drive in, we'll dive into that in just a second, the drop in minutes. But on August 15th, uh, Team USA defeats Spain. This time by a much more competitive 28 points. 
So it's a 20, only a 28 point victory this time. Barker goes for 13 and 5. Lisa Leslie drops a double double. But the interesting story this day, and it actually isn't dunk related for once. Uh, the interesting story this day actually comes out of the Sacramento Bee who ran a spread highlighting Parker's engagement to, at the time, Sacramento King player Sherwin-Williams, which a lot of people know that I believe uh, they were dating while he was at Duke. Um, and what's interesting about this, because they chronicle the meeting and their story and everything, which has interest in its own right. What's interesting about the article isn't actually their relationship at all, but a passing note in the article. And maybe I'm the only one who doesn't know this up until now. That apparently in high school, Parker dated a brace faced Dwight Howard. Whoa. <laughs> Did y'all know this? No. <laughs> nah, uh, I was unaware. Apparently they met at a McDonald's All American event and hit things off. They attended each other's proms. I want to say at the time Howard was living in Atlanta, but I could be wrong. He might have been living in Chicago. I don't quite remember. Um, so apologies. They attended each other's proms. Uh, and then essentially their relationship ended pretty quickly after Parker went to Tennessee. Howard went on to become, for my estimation, the richest journeyman in the history of the MNBA. Uh, he's played on just about every team, but he, he gets like an all-star salary. Uh, and he helped my favorite, you know, my MNBA team win a championship last year's and, and also is curtain dating, uh, Tia Cooper, uh, Candace Parker's former teammate with the Sparks. I wonder if they just had an agreement. In high school, like, look, I want to go to prom, but I want to wear my high heels. And Dwight's like, I want to go to prom and I don't want to step on like a four and a half foot tall girl. So they just like, let's, let's do this thing. Like <laughs> we can make this, <laughs> we can make this work. This is a solid couple. We can find each other on the dance floor easily. That makes sense. My two thoughts. What's the more interesting, um, basketball prom story? Is it, is it Kobe Bryant going to prom with Brandy? Or Candace going to prom with Dwight Howard? I didn't even register that Candace and Dwight Howard are like similar ages. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I think they're one year separated <laughs> high schoolers, and and the reason is because she went to college and he went straight to the to the MBA. Like they have, uh-huh. that's he, he immediately went pro and she went to school. But yeah, like yeah, Dwight Dwight feels so much older, which yeah. is which is wrong. So that that one to me is interesting. Yeah, that's uh, somehow him having braces is what really stood out to me. I don't know why. There's something about that that just, I don't know why that's interesting to me, but, huh, racist. Um, so there you have it. That was just, I thought that was an interesting piece. It felt weird for them to run that spread during the Olympics, but there you have it. Uh, interest fact there. I don't know if that's as good as the Eddie Van Halen fact, but, you know, I'm doing my best here. We shoot forward to August 17th. Team USA racks a 36-point victory over New Zealand, also sealing them the top seed in the 18 medal bracket. This is also a game in which Parker appears for only 13 minutes. It's at this point when Parker's minutes restriction is impossible to overlook. Her minute haul was generally in the teens and only got worse as the metal bracket moves on. And you'll note that as we talk about it. And to my knowledge, she didn't have the injury that I could see. There wasn't any budding controversy or like an attitude issue of any sort. And it doesn't appear to be a dose of like rookie treatment. Like no matter how good you are, it's your first time. You're only going to get some minutes because Sylvia Fowles is consistently putting in 20 plus minutes a night throughout the entire games. And this isn't a Gino Ariyama thing. He wasn't coaching the team at the time. So I, it's, it's really interesting to me how at the time, possibly your best performing player in the league who tends to perform extremely well whenever she's put on the court 
is dwindling in minutes as the games go by. Am I overlooking this? Is this nothing? Is it... I mean, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but is it like an act of mercy sort of thing? Because they were drilling teams by 20 plus every night. They were like, we don't need her out there for 20 minutes. I don't know if that's a thing. Doesn't sound like something that they would do in the Olympics. but Maybe. I guess it's just... Candace has had a really interesting relationship with Team USA. Obviously, uh, people famously talked about how she was snubbed by Gino in the 20, on the 2016 roster. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a lot of controversy behind that. And then it's on, you know, this part of it. And I'm not saying it's like it is sort of disrespecting. You know, often with these dream teams, you see a, a lower amount of minutes and points. There's kind of an even spread very often. So it's very rare that a player will have just like these bombastic numbers, at least on, on the dream teams. But my only guess is I'll verge on like conspiracy theory level. Like this is 2008. Like maybe they wanted to feature UConn players more than Candace Parker. Cause that was what was hot in women's basketball. But mm-hmm. like that, that's like tinfoil hat levels of like, I don't think that probably, happened. I don't know why I thought yeah. you were going to say like, this is 2008. Maybe it's like commentary on the housing crisis. And like, <laughs> And the bailouts, and we're not going to bail out Candace. I don't know. I, I can't come up with a good conspiracy. If I'm trying to come up with stuff, obviously I, I, I wasn't paying attention to this very closely back then. I mean, I, I'm sure I caught some of the games because I just watch a lot of the Olympics as it is. But like the one thing I could chalk it up to that I don't know this, I'm just trying to come up with like what plausible situations are there. And maybe it's just you have like a different unit that's clicking. Like you, you've got some different forwards or something that they're playing well together and it's just. You go with the chemistry over the the necessarily raw talent, but I mean you're also on just this absurd roster. But I don't know, like if you've got a, if you've got a unit that's clicking, sometimes you leave them out for longer minutes, and and that might have cut against Candice. But uh, at that point, I'm stretching. I don't know what the reason was. I'm just trying to come up with something that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it, I, that's the thing. Is it's hard for me to come down if it's more of anything or if it's just I don't know. I, I, obviously, her, neither her or Fowles started. Fowl's in some ways more mm-hmm. of a traditional center, so maybe it's a case of like switching her out for Leslie made a lot of sense. And our dynamic point forward style player, it is like it was tougher to make that switch up. You have a lot more veterans on that roster who some of them it may be their last Olympics, so let's try to get them some more minutes mm-hmm. because they're still playing well. I and mean, there's a lot of reasons behind it. I don't recall hearing much animosity about this. It's not like it's anything that, you know. Mm-hmm. Really, the only time I've ever heard Candace talk about this Olympics is with fondness and pictures of her with other famous, you know, athletes and stuff in Beijing. Um, so I think there's, you know, it definitely is not something to dwell too heavily on other than to say, I just found it really peculiar. You know, if I'm in, if I'm at this level of my career, it would seem peculiar that, um, I would be sat quite that much, but I don't know. We'll have to see. Things do get interesting, though, because all that being said, Team USA uh, goes on to route Korea by 44, August 21st, or the 19th, apologies. Uh, they beat Korea by 44 in the quarterfinal before facing easily their biggest challenge in the semis against Russia. And keep in mind, this is a Russia team that beat the U.S. in the previous world championships. Parker, again, only sees 13 minutes of play, but in that time, she pulls in three points and eight rebounds in 13 minutes. Team USC needed every last one of those boards as well in a game that was within arm's reach for a majority of the night until Team USA pulls away late 
and seals a 15-point victory, which in comparison is a nail-biter for them. I mean, yeah. when you look at it's almost an accomplishment on Russia's end to be like, you were within 20 points of, of that team? That's insane. Uh, this pulls us to August 23rd. The 2008 Olympic journey ends with the most highly anticipated matchup um, in quite a long time when it came to Olympic basketball. This Pete's Team USA against the, in the final against Australia, led by Lauren Jackson, Penny Taylor, and Indiana Fever point guard. Also, possibly my new favorite name of all time, Tully Louise Bevilacqua. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Former uh, former guard for the fear. These two squads have matched in a flurry of close, intense matchups over the years, which is super fun to look back on while Team USA crushes them by 27 points for the gold medal. Uh, an impressive accomplishment for the U.S., but also specifically for Parker, who went 100% from the field and scored 14 points in 10 minutes. So say what you want about her minutes restriction, but she was making good use of her time. Every single possession she see on the court at that point, when you look at those numbers, is okay. Everything's impactful that she's doing, so at least that's good. So there you have it, gold medal, Candice Parker. Now, uh, Nice Player of the Year. You have uh, NCAA champion. We have some other awards uh, to discuss, uh, and now uh, a gold medal recipient. So 2008 still going pretty strong for this one. Top draft pick. That was the one I was missing. Uh, we now cut to late August, early September. Parker's break after the Beijing Olympics only lasts four days. But things definitely begin to look up for the Sparks, who kick off their return to play with a three-game win streak. And in that run, Parker would go on to average 20 points, 13 rebounds, and three blocks a game. So I think she's enjoying having her playing time back, first and foremost. Yeah. In a post-game interview following a 24-point victory over the Minnesota Lynx, Coach Cooper said, quote, we're on our way to becoming a world championship team. So we're back to we're back to people making bold claims. I don't know if you missed the Les Alexander days. Co- yeah, WNBA coaches do not shy away. Man, they, they're willing to put that bulletin board material in everyone else's locker room. We're right around the corner to another fun quote, don't you worry. Um, so they kick things off pretty well. September 14th, the Sparks split their final four games of the season. They go two and two in their final four games. I'm just making sure I have the timing correct. We might be cruising through this episode. Uh, so they split their final four games of the season and finish with a 20 and 14 record, slotting them third in the Western Conference, set to face the Seattle Storm in the first round. As things close out, Candace Parker's Final 2008 season stat line sits at 18 and a half points, nine and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, 2.3 blocks and shooting 52.3% from the field per game. So that's her rookie haul. Now it seems at this point that Parker would be the clear cut favorite for rookie of the year and quite possibly for MVP. But one notable dissenter to at least the latter award MVP is Detroit Shock head coach Bill Lambeer. Would you know it? Ooh. Who referring to the once title favorite Sparks only netting a third seed, quote, a team that has underachieved that badly does not deserve to have an MVP, close quote. <laughs> oh, Bill. That is Bill. that is a Bill Lambeer quote if I've heard one. 
bring that oh. energy to this NBA season we're having right now. I mean, <laughs> just does not does not want to sidetrack us too badly. But with how many guys have missed like twenty plus games that are in the MVP discussion, can you imagine what would happen if an NBA coach came out right now and said that quote? Oh, yeah, things would. <laughs> oh my god, pretty well break up. So uh, a team who's underachieved. Keep in mind, this is a coach. They like we're still barely a month removed from his team brawling with that team on their court, uh, and Candace Parker being one of the powder kegs to it. So you have to wonder if that plays a role. But at the same time, he definitely made his thoughts known. And for some reason, the way this all boils down in the end makes about as much sense. So <laughs> let's move on to... Uh, okay, well, first things, we're about to hit the playoffs. But um, just any responses, any thoughts on just the regular season as a whole? We have a stat line. Uh, you know, we've seen... A lot of fireworks. Any any highlights? Any thoughts? Any memories? Anything you guys feel like calling out? That's a. I mean, for as sh- as short as the WNBA season is, that's so much. Like just the brawl in the Olympics alone would be a lot. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. I really do miss the days of coaches just being willing to take swings at each other verbally, like every every press conference. Uh, if you're new to W history and you didn't listen to the comments episodes from about a year ago, like every episode, Van Chancellor was just saying, like, we're going to win the championship, like bank on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I I like that Bill is still in the league uh, as the Aces coach now. And I, I love uh, I, I mean, I think we're in a bit more respectful of an environment now, but <laughs> that's uh, I don't know. Maybe he thought he was giving her like a backhanded compliment, like, hey. They're 20 and 14. They should be even better with how well she's played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like probably not, but yeah. like it says a lot about her expectations as a rookie that that was considered underperforming. I'm just waiting for like this season, the aces drop to like the four seed in the playoff. And then he starts making a push for Asia Wilson to, to be considered for MVP again. And somebody <laughs> just like drop that on Twitter, like pull that quote back on him. But yeah, we'll see. You're on the stream. Yeah, snapshot this because who knows if it comes to play? Because <laughs> uh, you never know. Yeah, in this case, which which you know, to his credit, as I've gone back historically, like the top seed in the WNBA tends to pull like pull the MVP. That happens quite regularly. Yeah, um, I think what happened in most leagues, but it's very much a pattern within the league. So I, I see what he's saying on that point, and it is a strong quote. But as far as the season as a whole, I mean, this is through so many ups and downs. You're looking at easily. I don't think this is controversial. The best rookie debut ever. Um, just an absolutely yeah. explosive debut. Mm-hmm. Her first month was was just full of fireworks. And the sparks looked to be rolling. They hit some bumps. They came back out of the Olympics strong. And now you're looking at a team that is a third seed and almost doesn't feel like it. You know, they'll it, it'll be an interesting discussion when we get to a certain point where they'll be playing a top seed and it, they feel like the favorite, it's a really interesting thought process because they showed flashes of how, just how good they can be. Um, so it's definitely exciting. You know, it's just a very intriguing storyline altogether. As we come into the playoffs, I mean, this lasts only a couple weeks and I feel like there's as much pandemonium within these few games as we got all together uh, from the regular season. There's just a, you know, there's so much going on. 
We're gonna go. We're gonna jump to September twenty third, two thousand eight. The Sparks uh, facing the Storm in the first round. They rolled to an easy eight point victory in Game One before Seattle would hold the Sparks to thirty percent shooting to steal Ooh. Game Two. Mm. And with their backs against the wall, the Sparks season is now down to a winner take all Game Three. And because they were unable to overtake Seattle by two games in the standings for the regular season, they would have to make this happen on the road in front of a sold-out key arena. Sure. Not an easy place to play. The Sparks jumped to an early lead in Game 3 and seemed it would stay that way, as they were ahead by as much as 15 in the second half. But toward the end of the game, the Storm lobbied to change those plans. Uh, going on a 15 and 0 run, I believe, or is it a, uh, sorry, my, I wrote my numbers wrong. 12 and 0 run, uh, that would cut the Sparks lead to three. However, a key defensive rebound and ensuing score by, uh, Delesha Milton Jones in the final minutes put the game and the series away for good. The Sparks win game three by a score of 71 to 64 and advance to face the San Antonio Silver Stars the number one seed in the West, a team whom the Sparks split their season series and whom Parker averaged 21 points and 10 rebounds against. Mm. So a lot of intrigue here. Now, this is a highly important series, not just for the Sparks, but also for the WNBA as a whole, because the team who sat waiting on the other end of the bracket in the finals from the East is Bill Ambeer and the Detroit Shock. Yeah, that's no. what I wanted you to say. That's the stuff. Now, a Sparks Shock final not only pairs two of the most watched teams in the league, but also potentially establishes a wealth of goodwill for the WNBA because now you can showcase two teams who recently filled the airwaves with an on-court brawl just months earlier, and now you get a bit, you can make up for that with a barrage of stellar basketball. Let's just watch them play. I th- that might be a little bit of a lofty goal. You wonder if Sparks, yeah, Spar- pun intended, uh, you know, would flare. But then again, um, I think they're looking at that matchup going like, the story's kind of been leading to this. This is what people have been wanting to see. Not that they would try to lean things in one direction or the other, but I think they're looking forward to the potential of that matchup, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you'd think that game one slotted in Los Angeles for a series that important, as we just discussed, would be held in the Staples Center. However, though every other game up to that point was, this game was relocated to USC's Galen Center. I'm going to give you each one guess as to why. Remind me again what month this is taking place in. This is September. September. There is no uh, NBA basketball at this point. There might be preseason. So I'll I'll rule that out for you. I'm trying to think. Is it? It's, it's going to be something dumb like a rodeo. It, it's it's going to be something dumb. I want to say like like some concert. Who was popular in two thousand eight? That's like pre Bieber. Like maybe like Teeny Bopper Bieber had a concert or something like that. I I don't know. I feel like the WNBA gets bumped for that stuff sometimes, and it pisses me off. But maybe like the American Idol like U.S. tour. Both interesting thoughts because I think those were essentially happening. However, this game was played at the Galen Center due to the Staples Center bumping a playoff game to book the opening night of Walking with Dinosaurs. Never before has prehistoric Earth come to life in a theatrical event so grand it will inspire, amaze, and captivate audiences around the globe. 
don't miss the event that's been over 65 million years in the making. Walking with Dinosaurs, the live experience. See life-size dinosaurs protect their young, battle for supremacy, all in their natural habitat. Visual spectacle that's a must-see for all ages. Walking with Dinosaurs. For more information, go to DinosaurLive.com. Oh, oh, you gotta make room for Walking dinosaurs. with Dinosaurs, the arena spectacular. After 12 years of touring the world to over 250 sittings and performing almost 10 million to almost 10 million fans, the beloved dinosaurs play their... Uh, sorry, I was reading about their final show, but... Uh, so a, a big tour, essentially what this is, uh, Walking with Dinosaurs was essentially like a theatrical depiction of dinosaur life that was originally uh, featured on BBC. Uh, and they turned it into a live show. And the show would feature narrated, and I kid you not, animatronic dinosaurs on stage. It apparently did look pretty cool. And it apparently was intriguing to a point. But basically, a key... Semi-final bas- professional basketball championship was bumped for a glorified Chuck E. Cheese feature. That's what we're talking about. This is just about as bad as when Arrested Development was bumped for skating with celebrities on Fox. It's <laughs> frustrating, uh, to say the least. I I have one question. Yes. Did the dinosaurs at least dunk? <laughs> I You have to think they do. They want a packed house. Bro. You've got to think they do. You've got to think that there's like a Parasaurolophus that can get up. Or like, like, <laughs> like lob one to a Brachiosaurus or something and see if they'll put one down. I, How I, else uh, are you going to get busted seats? I actually heard the uh, the original name for the big three league was Duncan Dinosaurs. I can't I can't determine if that was a joke. I, I couldn't. Well, in my head, I'm sitting here like, he's got to be kidding, right? He's <laughs> it is Ice Cube. He's done weirder stuff. Maybe. I was just sitting there waiting to see, like, is he kidding? There's at least one individual in the Schwartzman household that I know would be all over this if it happened today. My son, my three-year-old son, Henry, would 1,000% prefer walking <laughs> with dinosaurs over any basketball game. I know that to be 100% certain. He's listening to the podcast right now like, Dad, I cannot believe you're bashing my dream. Uh, I trusted you. Uh, he would absolutely love that show, but also what the, what the hell? This is a basketball arena and there's a basketball game. This is like when, uh, this is like when the Denver Nuggets had a night, uh, a playoff night mixed with, uh, uh, they booked a night of WWE Monday night raw. And <laughs> so, uh, I believe like raw had to move to the, the stable center, ironically, and it, the series was Lakers Nuggets, and to get back at Nuggets under Stan Kroenke, um, Vince McMahon did a five on five match of of wrestlers dressed as the Lakers and wrestlers dressed as the Nuggets, and had the <laughs> Lakers team just smash the Nuggets. And like that's that's pettiness, and I respect it. Uh, but this is frustrating. Walking with dinosaurs. I've never yeah. seen it. Maybe someone, if you're listening to this, if you're live on Twitch on the chat and you know this program, maybe it's totally worth it. 
but very frustrating. I get really upset when, when venues get switched like this for no apparent reason. Um, and we have to play in ridiculous places like this. That all said, at the very least, things still looked up for the Sparks, who overcame an early nine-point deficit behind 22 points from Lisa Leslie and a double-double and three blocks from Parker on their way to a cushy 15-point victory to steal game one. The Sparks are now one win away from Detroit, from the finals, and from a shot at Candace Parker becoming the first player in WNBA history to win an NCAA and a WNBA championship uh, in, in the same year, as well as an Olympic championship. And we now move on to September 27th, and we've now been through two and a half episodes, <clears throat> and we're well into the semifinals and the playoffs, but guys, this is where it gets nutty. This is fun basketball. If you can find tape of this game, it's insane. Before anything about game two, a couple stat lines. In game two, Lisa Leslie scored 19 points and 12 rebounds. Parker follows on that with 19 points, 17 rebounds, five blocks, and three steals. No matter sure. what we're about to talk about, Parker couldn't have been more as advertised uh, as almost she was this night. This was her. When, if anyone wants to look at Parker's early career and say she couldn't play up in big moments, I don't know what more you could have asked her to do that sort of spoils things, but we're going to move on from here. Just thought that would be a good place to start. We're going to skip right into the second half of this game, where the Silver Stars appeared to be in control. Uh, with three minutes left to play in the third quarter, San Antonio was ahead by 14 points, and this is when the Sparks kick off a 17-3 and run to tie things up, followed by a handful of possessions that saw the Sparks gain the lead, the first lead, their first lead of the night with just five minutes left to play. The Sparks then led by four with one minute 32 to go after Milton Jones scored and was fouled, but she did miss uh, her free throw that would have put the Sparks up five. And believe it or not, that would have been extremely key, but uh, they're currently up for the minute 32 to go. Fortunately, uh, Lisa Leslie nabs the rebound and kicks the ball out to Shannon Bobbitt, who misses a, a three-pointer. And it's at this point when San Antonio's Sophia Young nabs the next board and passes the ball down court to Aaron Buescher, who then kicks the ball over to a wide-open Becky Hammond. You know the name. Remember the name. You're going to hear it a lot more. A wide-open Becky Hammond who then hits a three that cuts the Sparks' lead to one with just 52.4 seconds to play. The Silver Stars then follow up the Hammond three by forcing a 24-second violation. They're playing very angry. It's a lot of fun. It's super fun when teams play angry. The next possession is wild. This is like, I finally found tape of this because I haven't been able to find the whole game um, that I can think of, but I did like find the last couple of minutes and knowing what the result was going to be, I was still screaming at my computer screen. The next possession, Hammond inbounds the ball to Sophia Young, who goes in for a layup blocked by Leslie. Hammond gains possession and misses a three. That misses rebounded by Buescher, who attempts a layup, blocked by Parker. Young again manages to get a rebound and is fouled by Milton Jones, who then 
She sinks two free throws. Put San Antonio ahead by one point with 11.3 seconds left to play. The Sparks pulled in two key blocks from both of their stars and couldn't figure out how to get their hands on the freaking basketball. Mm. It was like it this this night blew up for me. I was watched that just I I was mad at something and I knew what the ending was going to be. Like I don't you, even You know what they say? They say no rebound. No ring. Yeah, that's where that's it comes from. You got to get that rebound. <laughs> and it just like they it was one of those like what more could you have asked them to do? Someone's got to get their hands on the basketball. Like you know, their backcourt's are slaughtering you right now. And there you have it. So yeah, I mean it it continues to get nutty this game too. The Sparks uh, <clears throat> respond to this. They're now down one, 11 seconds to go, and they inbound the ball to Tamika Johnson. She misses a layup. This is followed by a rebound for Milton Jones, who then goes up and drops in a bucket. She scores, puts the Sparks ahead by one with 1.3 seconds to play as the Silver Stars call a timeout. 1.3 to go. You survive this, you move on to the finals. That's That's where we're at. Remember this moment. Remember what it felt like when you were on the court with 1.3 to go. Remember this for the rest of your life. Coming out of the timeout, San Antonio's Vicky Johnson came to the baseline for an inbound pass, clearly looking for Becky Hammond, who had already splashed three or sorry, four three pointers that night. But the Sparks, of course, knowing this, switched Parker off of Sophia Young and onto Hammond to swallow Hammond up. And, and keep her from getting an open look. Johnson is then unable to find open space for Hammond, get her a pass in a place where she can bound up for a shot and potentially nearing a five second violation. She jumped, dumps the ball to the closest player who happened to be Sophia Young. Young clearly not expecting to have the ball at this moment. It was very clear when you watch it, like this play was set up for Becky Hammond and the switch really worked. She catches the ball with her offhand and thus has to make a wild offhand spin and like heave to get the ball up in time. This is a heave that goes off the backboard, off the front rim, off the backboard again before dropping through the net as the final buzzer sounds. Oh, oh. The Silver Stars bench <laughs> mauls oh. Sophia on the floor. Silver Stars tie the series. Sophia for the win! Got it! Got it! Got it! Got it! Sophia Young. A season survives. That is how close they were to a finals berth. And yet again, the Spark season is down to a do or die game on the road for a game three. Keep in mind. That's the that's the type of loss that like if it happened now without us knowing the end of the story, you just assume you're losing the next game of the series too. Yeah, like, it just a, it feels yeah. that way. Yeah, a Spurs like a Spurs Heat type like. Well, that's the series. Like I know it's tied, yeah. but that's the series. Yeah, it's over. The dagger. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of those. Just like you don't come back from that. It's a tough call, right? And you know, it's the same because especially when you consider. So the Sparks won Game One at home, sort of Galen Center. Uh, the Silver Stars won Game Two at home. The two-two split in the season. Home team won each time. So the Sparks have yet to beat San Antonio. In San Antonio. <laughs> now they have to find a way to win this game. Parker nearly... So we're now to September 29, 2008. Parker nearly walks out of Game 3 with another double-double. She racks up 16 points and 9 rebounds. 
And all in all, the Sparks looked pretty smooth. They had a four-point lead at the half and led by as much as eight in the second half. So things were looking, again, pretty solid. And the Silver Stars managed to shrink the lead in the fourth. But as Tamika Johnson hits two free throws that put the Sparks up five with 157 to play. So we're back under two minutes. They're up five. And keep in mind, it was a missed free throw from Milton Jones that avoided them to have a five-point lead under two minutes. That essentially could have been the difference maker. Johnson gets those free throws. They're now up five with less than two minutes. Can fate switch for them? It now appears the series could finally be on ice. And of course, not exactly how Becky Hammond and Sophia Young saw it. Young followed up Johnson's free throws with a quick layup. Johnson responded uh, by diving in for her own open layup um, to, to get her own points back. She was then blocked by Becky Hammond. I want to repeat. Wait. Wait. <laughs> uh, this is this is uh, Johnson, a forward, uh, had her layup blocked by Becky Hammond, who sped up the court and drained a three-pointer to tie the game with exactly 60 seconds to play. Johnson then follows this up with another layup attempt, this time clearly missed and rebounded by Becky Hammond. Dude, Becky Hammond's oh. a freaking stud is what I'm learning from this segment yeah. of the story. Hammond's <laughs> as if you, if you didn't know that already, yeah. Hammond <laughs> yeah. is immediately fouled. She then sinks two free throws. Milton Jones responds with a quick drive to the hoop. Uh, which would have counted, except she was charged with an offensive foul. Do you guys oh. want to guess on who? Do you guys want to guess on who? Did Becky Hammond take a charge? So Hammond made her two free throws after the offensive foul. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. For yeah. goodness sake, playing off her rocker. She makes two free throws. This caps off a night for Becky Hammond that sees her boast 35 points. Oh my gosh, I messed up the stat line. Um... She had a bunch of rebounds, but for some reason it doesn't show the number. I wrote a T instead. I want to say it was 12. 30, 35 points. I'm going to say that in case I'm wrong. 35 points, 12 rebounds, and two blocks while going six for eight from three. These free throws put the Silver Stars up by four with 17.9 seconds to play. Candace Parker responds with a quick three-point attempt, clanks off the rim. The Sparks do get the rebound, but are ultimately unable to get another shot off losing Game 3 to San Antonio and officially eliminating themselves from the playoffs. Mm. And there it is. That's It's the end of the rookie season. We have a couple other things we'll hit really fast, but, um, like, you were 1.3 seconds away from, a cha- from the Western Conference yeah. title from going to the finals yeah. and getting ever close to actually taking this thing. You had the game in control. And then Becky Hammond just decided to be Becky Hammond. <laughs> it's, it's like, this is, it's almost, you almost like walk away. Like this must be what fate wanted. Cause yeah. what else do you say? Absolutely not. Which, you know, it, a lot of people, especially people new to the league at this point, know Becky Hammond, the coach, right? Yeah. Um, doing a full disservice to Becky Hammond, the player who was just an absolute clinical badass. Um, almost Erica Wheeler type came from obscurity had successful, very hard fought seasons with the Liberty and then showed up to San Antonio to be the star of the team and came ever close to winning a title. Um, there will be a Becky Hammond uh, series. I think in W history, there kind of has to be 
it's a very interesting mm-hmm. story. Any thoughts on the playoffs? You know, like obviously we're doing this whole series of episodes on Candace Parker because she had this remarkable rookie season. But there's something to remember about rookies, and that's that they don't have the experience of what, like at that point, Becky Hammond was a five or six time All Star. Sometimes, um, yeah. and ultimately, like when when it comes down to those playoff moments, like like we've seen rookies do great things in every aspect of the game, like doesn't diminish at all what type of player Candace Parker is now yeah. by any means. She's still going to win all the awards for rookie year and all that. But it's crazy to me that what it took to beat a Candace Parker led Sparks team was basically like future Candace Parker, like someone who's been around the league and has done it for nine or 10 years and is like, yeah, it's not your time yet. Candace, like it's Becky Hammond time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost, it's how it had to have ended. Like it yeah. just makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's impressive looking at Candace Parker because she went straight from college into the WNBA, the Olympics, like all those things. And every time you move up in a league like that, the speed of the game increases at a, at a blinding pace. So the fact that she was able to hold it the way she did is impressive. You know, I'm, I'm always impressed by rookies who immediately fit into a league because that's just a huge feat to do yeah. in general. And to, to be in that game and to be competing with someone like Becky Hammond as a rookie, like I, this entire storyline is just so impressive to me that to, to come into a league and to just dominate that league in a, in a very real way. Um, speaks volumes to just the pure talent that is Candace Parker. So I, I'm extremely impressed by her. And that's the thing is some of the, these performances, I mean, at least when you look at the stat line, you go like, well, what more could, I mean, it's, as far as like she uh-huh. played up performance wise and even this, the Sophia Young shot, um, I mean, her, she did her assignment to perfection. She, she made Hammond a known factor. Hammond was not open for a shot. They just happened to get a miracle to go in. When you look mm-hmm. at the end of game three, there definitely is a point where I go, why aren't we drawing something up to get Parker or Leslie open? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Why are we putting Tamika Johnson and, and Milton Jones? We're both great players, but you have two of the best generational players in history on the court. You need to get one of them to the rim. And, and that might be a difference maker. But then again, it's like Hammond's performance in those final two minutes felt like a situation of like, this was going to happen. Like it didn't matter yeah. who it could have been the monsters. This was going to happen almost. And that's where it just went to uh, almost a whole different level. That said, I, I think frustrating for the start uh, for the sparks, because it really looked like they had the pieces to, to make a title run happen. It, the story mm-hmm. was being told with, with Candace showing up and, and making this happen. Didn't just didn't go their way. And that's how, how it goes. Four days later during game two, the WNBA finals, which herself, uh, was just 1.3 seconds shy of participating in. Candace Parker is formally awarded the 2008 WNBA rookie of the year and most valuable player. A first in WNBA history. Candace Parker, it's truly a pleasure and privilege to congratulate you on being the WNBA rookie of the year. The 2008 WNBA Most Valuable Player Award to Candace Parker of the Los Angeles Sparks. You know, I was honored to get the Rookie of the Year award, and when they told me I got MVP, I was um, definitely in amazement. Being in this league, you realize how special it truly is, and to receive this award, it's a great honor. So, I want you to keep in mind, uh, on this night, during a finals that she isn't playing, that she could have been, but isn't, 
and some of that potentially off of the being a third seed, because if you were in a higher seed, maybe you'd have had a chance at, uh, at having home court on those game threes, who knows what happens there. Right. But, uh, during a finals in which Bill Ambeer's on the court, <laughs> rookie of the year and MVP, uh, on the same night in which these two teams play in a pretty epic finals days later, another first as Parker's attempted accolade of winning an NCAA and WNBA championship in the same year is realized by her Tennessee teammate, Alexis Hornbuckle of the Detroit. <laughs> mm. Awesome. So again, it's just more poetry in the season of, yeah. well, you, you couldn't do it, but at least we had another Vol pull it off of all who got the big shot in the big moment. She had the final four buzzer beater. I mean, it was like, um, you know, this is one of those situations of just, it felt like there's always like a weird way to round out these stories. And it sort of doesn't end from there, but you know, so, so Hornbuckle gets that accolade, the shock win the second of, of their three championships. Uh, I guess Lambier in a way gets the last laugh. Candace walks away with some hardware. The only other LA times article at this point that notably features Parker in 2008, we're now in October. So we have till December, but we're covering 2008 as a whole. The only other LA times article that notably featured Candace Parker in 2008 was on November 16th, a 1500 Word front page spread. Before I say anything else, Logan, very long article, right? Yeah, 1,500 words is at least twice as long as any article that anybody listening has probably read recently. Like, that's a feature-length article. That's like a Watergate-level article. Like, it's the, it's usually <laughs> a very big deal. Most of the time, you're given, like, six to 800 words, and that's what you fit it under. Yeah. 15's quite a lot. A 1,500-word front page spread entirely focused, the sole subject... A 30-second commercial Parker filmed with ESPN in which she dunked. Dunking! Dunking! (laughs) I wanted it to be dunking. It was dunking. No other article featuring Parker that entire calendar year had been within 500 words of that spread. A 30-second article. I believe the article said that she had a total of, like, seven words uh, spoken. (laughs) 1500 pages. And I get it. Maybe you could say that's a slow news time. I don't know. That's quite a piece. But man, was someone being paid? Did someone who gets, uh, were they being paid by the, like, column inch? Like, what was. Uh, Maybe. If someone told me in my journalism days to write 1500 words on a commercial, I'd probably tell them to stick it. Like, (laughs) I'd be like, no, Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, But especially on a player that was just. I mean, there's. We just did a three part series on her rookie year. There's obviously a lot of words to say about her. Like, oh yeah, totally. That's, that's the wrong thing. <laughs> that's the wrong thing to do. This is like first take story ridiculous. Of like, are we really gonna? Yeah. It, that was the last main note we had on Parker, other than being featured in like side blurbs or like getting passing comments and articles. The when she was the main subject of an article is the last time we saw fifteen hundred words. Uh, and of course, after Lisa Leslie's retirement the following season, it would take a while for the Sparks to find the right group of stars to pair with Parker in reaching title contention. And the drought did finally come to an end in 2016, just four months following the passing of Parker's beloved legendary Tennessee coach Pat Summit, outlasting mm-hmm. the Sylvia Fowles-led Minnesota Lynx. Again, everything's poetic. It all comes full circle uh, in taking home her first WNBA championship. Parker approached... Holly Rowe for her on-court post-game interview, clutching the title-clinching game ball. Eight years removed from a season 
or a, a year that traveled from Rocky Top to Bottling Great Wall to the San Gabriel Mountains. Uh, she pointed to the game ball, and her interview lasted only four words. Well, the hugs are continuing here as Neko Gumitin tells of Candace Parker that this win is for you, Candace. Good job, Candy. All the personal and professional disappointments this year. What does this moment mean to you? This is for Pat. This is for Pat. And... There you have it. That's the story of Candace Parker's rookie season, Candace Parker's 2008. How are we feeling? Well, ending like that, now I'm feeling kind of emotional, but I, yeah, <laughs> it was, I, I mean, it's, it's become a very legendary sound clip in a moment a lot of people yeah. see. So if you guys haven't watched it in a while, I mean, I've watched it dozens of times because it comes up a lot. And even in the moment, mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, it just gets you because you forget the context of 2016 and that it was really it was just a couple months after she'd passed away. And, yeah. Few players had such a close knit relationship with their coach as Parker did with Pat Summit. I mean, it's still such a huge part of her ethos. So that meant a lot to it. And it really brings this full circle because we start this story uh, two episodes ago with James Parker and Pat Summit. I mean, this is about, you know, the story is really about the, the Tennessee Vol and the, uh, the, you know, their relationship and their ability to find a championship together and that's kind of why it felt poetic to pull us aside is so much of the re- of like the the dust that had settled from 2008 found its way back in 2016 to almost mm-hmm. retell Parker's story when she finally wins the WNBA championship it, it, like fouls and Simone Augustus are on the opposing team. You know, you have two yeah. LSU players on the opposing team. It's so much about what happened during that whole situation was just it was almost like she had to harken back to the, the ghosts of past and um, to see this through. And it basically took, it was a buzzer beater moment, right? You know, it, it was a big game winning moment yeah. from Neko Gumake. So many of those things had to almost happen to kind of rewrite that history for them eight years later. But yeah, that's, that's what it took. I, and by the way, also the poetry of one big part of 2008 was this Olympic run. She wins the title in a year where she snubbed from the Olympic roster. It's just like, yeah. Interesting parallel. Yeah. I, uh, I, I enjoy it. I mean, obviously the reason we're highlighting it is because she's such a prolific player and she's so dominant. But one of the main themes coming out of this, at least for me personally, is the absolute lack of quality coverage that she got in that season. Like hearing you and the struggle that you had finding it. And the fact that like, Every article seems like it was handed to some intern who kind of knows basketball. And they're like, what do you want to write about? And it's like, dunk, dunk, buzzer beater, dunk. And like, yeah, that it makes me glad to see that in some ways, mainstream media is giving the league more coverage. But also, it makes me glad to be a part of this kind of groundswell movement, you know, this grassroots movement to, to provide quality coverage for the league, which is why we do the show. So, um, for me, the secondary story behind, besides, how good Candace Parker was that year is how poor the media covered what was a fantastic year from Parker. It was really intriguing handling that because, because people who've been listening to these episodes may note this episode's extremely game heavy. There aren't as many mm-hmm. side stories as there are in other episodes. And that's simply because they didn't exist. There was just no articles at some point when the Olympics hit, there's just the drop in covering the sparks so closely. just kind of ended. 
and mm-hmm. it got pretty frustrating and and it you know it 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 makes it tough especially when you're looking for good article you know good subjects to to cover when it comes to w history you kind of have to find things where did that market even care to cover this while it was happening i saw that that frustration definitely reared its head with the comments uh, and you just kind of run through these situations in a lot of different ways and it was also very intriguing to have this experience while Candace Parker is currently a member of the basketball media. And so yeah. while I'm having frustrations over, boy, do they really seem obsessed with dunks? This is happening while I'm also watching Candace Parker clamp Shaquille O'Neal's mouth when he's asking her if women should lower the rim. I was like, well, if there's dunks. anyone who can give you a commentary on women and dunks, it's Candace Parker. So you came to the right place. Now sit down and know your role. And it was an interesting case of like I, the parallels got more and more interesting. We talk mm-hmm. about how there was controversy with her winning these awards came just after she won a defensive player of the year award, but wasn't on the all defensive team. You know, this weird like controversy of people thinking she didn't deserve this award talking about her winning an MVP and rookie of the year at the same time that people are wondering if Paige Beckers deserves to be freshman and player of the year on the national level in the NCAA. There's huge parallels there. I was, mm-hmm. if we'd have had time, I was considering having that debate of like, what are the parallels between these two stories? Cause I feel like I heard a lot of the same commentary about both of these players and their accolades. Um, it was an interesting experience. It it just was like, it wasn't even art imitating life. It was just life imitating life. Mm-hmm. Logan, you've been quiet. How how did you enjoy the the Candace Parker two thousand eight journey? Uh, I liked the dunking parts. Golly, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, is that is that um, uh, is that you getting back at me for for all the Russell Wilson clips yes. during uh, the tournament yes. this year? Yes. No, I, I've enjoyed getting to know Candace Parker better as a player throughout this process because she has become, and, and I'm late to the party on this. I realize the people who've been fans of the W for a long time are like way ahead of me here. But to me, she wasn't really on my radar as like one of the personalities that I was really keeping track of off the court. Um, obviously I knew she was like, she was at the Sparks. She was doing great things. She was keeping the Sparks a contender year after year since we started this podcast in 2016, 2017. Um, but now as I've seen her talk basketball on TNT with Dwayne Wade, and I've, I've seen the excitement the city of Chicago is feeling as like a homecoming season for Candace Parker in her kind of upper years in the league is, is about to happen. Like there's so much energy behind this guy that wasn't there before. And that's a fan base that's already pretty passionate. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of that is carried by, Candace Parker and who she is and, and how visible she's been in the basketball world. And I, I've liked doing this deep dive into where she's coming from because it, it kind of sets up a more monumental finishing chapter. Um, you know, I, I think we all expect the sky to contend with her at the helm this year of, of a really stacked roster. And to me, this story deserves a ring at the end of the, at the end of the day, like she's mm-hmm. won championships I realize that that's not a box that's still like lingering over her to be checked. But to me, like the homecoming to Chicago, the team they've already got, the coach that they've got there, the moves that they've made, it feels like we just covered one bookend of Candace Parker's career and the other bookend is going to be phenomenal. It's interesting because 
um, so much. This checkpoint in the Candace Parker story is very interesting because compared to the other checkpoints we've noted here, which would be 2008, 2016, what's different in this case is you're watching a Candace Parker, especially if you've seen her in the media or just seen her in discourse leading up to the Chicago season, is a Candace Parker who seems at peace. It's really intriguing in that I think she's determined she wants to bring hardware to Chicago for certain, but there's something interesting about watching someone who you, you felt that pressure mounting on Candace Parker in 2008 in various in Beijing and in Tennessee and in Los Angeles, you felt that pressure in 2016 when she was as close as she'd ever been to finally pulling in a championship. Are they going to get that done? And it feels like here, yes, there is pressure because you want to bring a title to Chicago, but at the same time, She's also at peace with where she is in her life and in her career, and she's getting so much respect that she deserves. I can't tell you how nice it is to have a WNBA player, especially in Candace Parker, who anytime I see Candace trending, I know that it's for positive things. It's not uh-huh. someone making a kitchen joke. It's not for a controversy. It's because she's constantly schooling people on TNT halftime, and people are like, <laughs> yeah. Just put, I, like pay her more money, put her on the show. She's the best part yeah. of this. And it's always refreshing in a big way. I do like actually, I like when Shaq kind of acts as the voice of like the internet troll. I don't know if he's doing this on purpose or if he legitimately thinks these things, but I've often wondered if at this point he is playing a character. He's doing the skip Bayless playing a character thing. Yeah. He <laughs> like, he says like, let's lower the rim. Like, talk about rings, this and that, but it sort of serves up a platform for her to correct those dumb things. Yeah. And like, those are things that you see on Twitter from like people that aren't real all the time that like get really frustrating. And it's, it's kind of a, like he's almost like giving her at bats. Like he's, he's throwing easy pitches over the plate to be like, Hey, this is a dumb thing people say. And she gets to just crack it out of the park. Like, Nope, that's stupid. Like, <laughs> and, and, and maybe easy pitches, but it's also just to say, like, it could just be because he knows that she will hit it out of the park. Like, mm-hmm. well, they, they seem to have a good rapport. You're going to nail yeah. this because you're that good. So let's put you in a situation so you could be just as good. Like, and so I think that I could easily see that playing a role in that because at this point, sports coverage is so much more about narrative than it is about sports. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, and, they seem to have a great yeah. back and forth, like a healthy, not competitive yeah. back and forth. So when he says something, she does egg him on. You can definitely tell that she loves yeah. to like get get his goat, which is always but, funny. But I loved my favorite one is when when he's like, "I've got rings." Like, how many rings do you have? And she says, "Like, well, I'm not done." And like calmly, instead of like she's not like brash about it, she's not like upset, but very calmly, like going into her age 35 season in Chicago, like she's just like, "I'm not done." Like, mm-hmm. like her goals are very clear in Chicago, and I like that a lot. Yeah. I, I, she definitely is one of those players that if she isn't motivated by the idea of a championship, that's probably when she hangs it up. And mm-hmm. so that definitely, I mean, you got to think super Dan Tarasi. I mean, all these players in their mid thirties who are still playing at elite levels, that has to be what motivates yeah. them is I'm not, I'm yeah. not done being hungry for this. Uh, very excited to uh, finally be putting a cap on this uh, series. Not because I want it to be over because uh, it's just, it's been, we probably should have done this about eight weeks ago and it was uh, a cool experience to dive into this again. Uh, for those listening at home, following on Twitter, uh, wherever you engage with the show, 
if you have ideas for some W history topics, we would love to hear it. If you have any players, teams, stories, scenarios, anything that uh, you think would be an interesting chronicle for us to dive into, let us know. We're, we're going to continue to do this and, and dive more into it. But as Logan said, as well as we're recording this, we'll have uh, additional WNBA nation coverage down the pipeline. We've got a season to get ready for in just a few weeks. Uh, if you're a women's soccer fan or you should be and, and want to get into it, uh, we've got some NWSL nation episodes still on the run as we've got the challenge cup running. We have an Olympics to cover. 2021 is so full of stuff and we're here to provide all that stuff for you. Uh, but until all of then, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of W history. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Jason Snow. I'm Logan Jones. And we'll get you next time.